Gary Parish, it's Sunday, October 15th, 2017. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. First things first, apologies for not being here last week, given that this is Sunday. It's a new week, so we missed last week. And the reason is a simple reason. Matt Norlander is moving from uh, one home to another, a homeowner now. Congratulations to you, Matt Norlander. Uh, have you moved everything you needed to move? Is everything complete? Stuff's in the house. Thanks, GP. But uh, yeah, we are actually doing this podcast. For, I'm doing it from a, <laughs> neither my home or my old home. Um, so we are squeezing this in because we know we got to talk about this. So uh, to the listeners, this one will be a little bit of an abbreviated podcast. I am almost guaranteeing we will podcast again before Friday because I think uh, the course of this UNC story or other things that are happening will probably warrant another podcast. But we should, you know, we wanted to make sure we got to it over the weekend. Um, and, and talked about what happened, even though what happened is basically in action uh, by in its own course. Um, so we can just dive right in here, GP. So uh, real quick, my, my quick, quick thoughts, and I'll expound on this later. Um, I was surprised that the NCAA ruled the way that it did. Uh, the criticism toward the NCAA by anyone and everyone, the public, the media, whatever, I think is totally valid. But my my thought that kind of goes alongside that is if the NCAA would have punished for this, it could have opened itself up to uh, potentially slippery situations going forward as they pertain to academic situations. And my last thought is that thought in itself might be contradictory because I hold the belief that there are many programs not just basketball, but across the NCAA and, you know, sanctioned sports where student athletes are getting benefits uh, to improving their grades that might not entirely be on the up and up. Now, how do those get exposed? And if and when they do, how does that compare against North Carolina, uh, which is using, of course, the Carolina and the NCAA are using the excuse that since regular students got the benefit as well, this is why we cannot sanction an entire university so those are my really quick thoughts i'm going to lay the table out for you to say anything and everything you want to say because i know you wrote a call on, on this and i know there's been plenty of discussion since friday so we were on a slack chat i believe uh last week in advance of um the in advance of the ncaa ruling and uh, one of our editors asked you know so what do we think is going to happen and i shrugged my shoulders and said uh, you know, this is a unique situation. Typically, when you have an NCAA ruling set to come down, you you know, like, okay, some some sort of punishment's coming, and we're just debating or, or discussing or guessing how how bad is it going to be? Is it going to be a one year ban postseason or a two year postseason ban? Is it going to be you know fifteen scholarship reductions or five scholarship reductions? With the North Carolina case. Um, I said all along, it, it, it could be bad or it could literally be nothing. Like it could be something where they have to vacate a national championship in theory, or it could be absolutely nothing. And the only safe prediction I, I thought all along was that there would be outrage from the public one way or another. If North Carolina were hammered, you, the outrage would come from uh, North Carolina fans mostly, but other people as well who would argue that the NCAA had 
no jurisdiction to be messing around in these types of cases, that there's nothing in the rule book that says what happened at North Carolina is against an NCAA rule, obviously shameful, but not necessarily against a rule in place. And of course, if North Carolina got off, so to speak, there would be outrage from casual fans and just people in general because it doesn't pass the common sense test that you could have for nearly two decades student athletes um, benefiting from fraudulent classes that you could get caught doing that and have no punishment whatsoever. Just I understand technically why that's uh, probably the if not 100 percent the the right outcome, but it wouldn't pass the common sense test. And so when on Friday morning, the NCAA announced that the punishment is nothing, uh, the outrage came. And uh, the column I wrote just basically said, I I get it. I I don't need somebody to explain to me why the NCAA wasn't able to hammer or even uh, punish North Carolina in any way. Like, I understand why they couldn't. I just think that if your system does not allow you to punish in circumstances like this, then your you, you, your system's flawed. Then there's something wrong with the system. And uh, plenty of people had predicted that this would be the way it, it went down. Um, and and I always acknowledged it was a possibility. But I just fundamentally think when you are caught doing what North Carolina was caught doing, and for folks who don't understand the details. More than a thousand student athletes, mostly football and men's basketball players, for more than a decade, um, were guided in many cases into classes that were nothing classes, absolutely nothing. We're, we're not talking about easy classes. We're talking about classes in some cases that did not meet that you were required to do basically nothing. And it undeniably, I don't even think North Carolina argues against this, uh, uh, enhanced GPAs and 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 more likely than not allowed people um, who might not have been able to maintain their academic eligibility, athletes, it allowed them to do so. More than half of the 2005 national championship team at North Carolina benefited from these classes. And though it is true that general students, normal students also did, the, the breakdown was basically 53% normal students, 47% athletes. And so athletes benefited, uh, the rates were disproportionate. Like there's only four, only 4% of, of students at North Carolina are student athletes. And yet 47% of the people mm. in these classes were student athletes. So like get out of my face if you're trying to uh, insist that this was there for anything other than to benefit student athletes. At least I don't accept it. There is no other believable explanation from my perspective, of why these classes were existed. They existed for student athletes. North Carolina got caught, and the punishment is nothing. I understand why the punishment's nothing. And I think North Carolina's lawyers did a a brilliant job uh, arguing why the punishment should be nothing. Um, But if, according to your system, you can't punish a school that was doing what North Carolina was doing, then there's something wrong with your system. For me, that's that's the long and short of it. And if your system's flawed, it's exposed uh, in a significant way uh, to be taken advantage of. And while it wasn't necessarily the explicit intent of, uh, you know, a rogue professor and, uh, in, in essence, uh, a secretary to, to do this, it is undeniable 
you know, from the word of Rashad McCants, who was part of uh, a championship team back in 2005, and said, I, I specifically benefit from this. And the key is it wasn't just men's basketball. Obviously, there were many different student athletes at North Carolina over the decades. This actually, uh, per the, Weinst, uh, the Weinstein report, I think this stretches back to 93, the, uh, you know, so near the end of, uh, of Dean Smith's tenure, where there was a pattern of this. And I know we've talked about a lot of this on the podcast before, but just as a quick refresher here, um, there is, you know, I know that it, it shifts into a little bit of a gray area, but there's a difference between what we all experience in college and say, hey, listen, if you need one more class to fill up your schedule, this one's easy. You'll probably be able to get a B without too much effort. But even still, you've got to attend the class with some frequency and maybe put just a smidge of effort in. That's so different from players and perhaps some of the general student population, you know, having this acknowledgement that, oh, you definitely need to get into that class. You will do no work. It will help keep you eligible. Not only that, but it's going to like it's going to get you're going to get an A. okay, and it's going to boost your GPA to, to help your eligibility. Also, there was an interesting note by Dan Kane from the Raleigh News and Observer, who is responsible for this story even getting exposed. It was his reporting, by and large, that put this uh, out in the public realm. And in fact, on the media conference call on Friday, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner and uh, the guy who was acting as, you know, kind of the head chair of the COI as it pertains to this specific case, told Dan Kane, you know, we we could really use you on on our on our committee on infractions, which honestly is a damning statement to the COI as is, while being a compliment to Kane's tremendous investigative reporting, because he was relentless with this for the better part of four or five years. And on that call, Kane also said, listen, I spoke to a number of, quote, regular students, unquote, uh, who took these classes over the years. And by the way, when they did, they were not subject and getting the benefit of not doing the work, of not having to write two papers a semester that you know totaled maybe 800 words between both of them. So that's a key important detail here is there were students that took these classes that had to legitimately do the work and then were graded off of the work, which you know is damning to UNC again from a student-athlete perspective. The NCAA at large here – in my opinion, the big takeaway, and you know, amidst this moving, I did the headline. I didn't really get to write a column, and maybe you know, this is sort of uh, petering out. But my big takeaway is, is 2017 will go down in infamy as the year that the NCAA's uh, feebleness and its its utter incompetence uh, to govern it's going to be highlighted because you have this case, the North Carolina case, GP. In my opinion, really is one of the two or three most important cases in the history of the NCAA's. Uh, punishment system just because of how long this went on, went on. For more than two decades, you had players that were benefiting from this. I understand the case that Carolina laid out. Um, I believe a couple columnists pointed out the fact that Carolina basically, uh, as it changed its stance over the years and said what went on here is is problematic, but it basically was like, yeah, but you know what? Uh, we're not a, a legitimate university in this regard. I think Wetzel wrote a column on this, and it, it's so interestingly pointed out the fact that there are so many people at a university that don't consider what the school's athletic teams do as part of its overall standing. It's, it's all about the academics. I know a lot of people don't, but there are plenty of professors at every school, Division One school major program, that they're aware that, you know, the money that's made by the football, men's basketball, women's basketball programs, but they don't stake their reputation and their employment with the university based on how the players are performing in the classroom or how they're performing on the field. It's more about 
how they're accredited by the bodies that accredit them and how they're able to you know, keep that standing in those U.S. News and World Report listings that come out every single year. So the fact that North Carolina had enough people not connected to athletics be willing to put this case forward through the help of lawyers to the NCAA to say, listen, this was kind of a rogue system here, whatever. They discredited their own academic standing. And in doing that, it's what helped them allow them to get this verdict from the NCAA. I think it's a bad look for Carolina, but also a bad look for the NCAA to kind of kowtow to that kind of thing. And when you take all of that and then you put it up against this huge, massive story with the FBI investigation that continues to unfold that the NCAA maybe should not be expected to uncover. But the fact of the matter is uh, public opinion is is obviously huge in matters like this GP. And when you see that it was the FBI that has exposed all of this, and now the NCAA, per the FBI's word, is just sitting out and waiting, it's just, it is a bad look overall. And it is why I believe, I, we spoke about this specifically in regard to the FBI investigation, but I think we will get 20 years from now, we will look back and say 2017 was essentially a fork in the road here because you had major, major cases that were both broken open and sealed, essentially, with the Carolina thing and Louisville, which could which could indeed come down before the end of 2017. And we'll see what happens with their banner. or They're not. Um, I think it's a really bad look for the NCAA. And it needs to this cannot be good enough. The Committee on Infractions and the people at the NCAA I understand that they're probably frustrated that they had to, to judge the case like this because they were going off the language in their own rule book. But again, even though they they adjusted their protocol, they made new hires, they changed their own laws in the past three or four years. You know what? You have to be nimble. You have to be flexible. You have to look at this and say, even if we can't punish as much as we might or punish period as much as we'd like to in a situation like Carolina you can't let everyone off the hook it's an absolute joke I'll toss it back to you after this final thought here GP it is an absolute joke that the only punishment that came down from this case is to uh, Dr. Julius Niangaro who is long retired essentially was forced resignation in 2012 we're now ending the end of 2017 this dude has been away from academia for that for a better part of a half decade he gets a five-year show cause which is only tied to athletics he never held a job in athletics he never will hold a job in athletics it is the definition of a paper punishment it means nothing it means as much as the papers that were handed in by the players to his afam classes and that alone is such a damning statement on the lack of punishment that the NCAA could not hand out. They've got to convene here and try and figure out if we get presented with this again, we have to have uh, some sort of nimbleness to the way we can punish. Otherwise, what's to stop another university or two or three, even though they're not going to maybe seek to do this? They know if they get caught in this kind of situation, no punishments coming down looks terrible on behalf of the NCAA if that's the case. Well, to your larger point, it's been a terrible three weeks for the NCAA because they love to insist that these um, uh, athletes who are in some cases making millions and millions and millions of dollars um, for universities in lots of cases, that they are amateur student athletes. Well, the FBI show they're not really amateurs. And the North Carolina co uh, case shows in, in many cases they're not really students either. And so for those big, big headlines. That's a great point, by the way. That's the, a fantastic point. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean go for, on. That's just, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that angle of it, but yes, that's true. So for those, uh, and it also brings in, uh, you know, to this uh, 
into the discussion, into the discussion, the, the conversation about amateurism. Because when you argue that amateurism is flawed to its core, uh, as it relates to billion dollar, a billion dollar industry like this, and that these student athletes need to be able to get their fair market value, whatever that is, on an individual basis. At least that's my argument. Um, they say, hey, these, these, these student athletes are already being paid. It's in compensation. It's with an amazing education. Well, no, not really. Not at North Carolina for m more than a decade. These student athletes were not getting an amazing education. Even at an amazing um, institution of higher learning like North Carolina, so many student athletes were not getting an, an amazing education, uh, a, 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 an education that will help them in any way whatsoever. So if you will not allow them to get their fair market value and w the way you insist you're compensating them is with an education, but the education's worthless, then they really are getting nothing, nothing. You, you get all the tackles and all the dunks and all the jump shots, they get nothing. They leave school with nothing. That, that's, that's morally wrong. And so... You know, for all of this to be exposed in such a short period of time, um, or at least brought into the headlines, like I said, just a bad, a bad deal for uh, for the NCAA. Um, what North Carolina was able to effectively do, and this is the Colin Dan Wetzel wrote on Friday, which I thought was really, really good. Um, they would not concede academic fraud. Because what they understood was if we don't call it academic fraud to the NCAA, they can't call it academic fraud. Like as long as we don't identify it as that, they can't identify it as that because they leave it up to us. So once you don't call it academic fraud, they can't call it academic fraud. So it's not really an academic fraud case, not from the NCAA's perspective. Um, now, they had to ruin the credibility or at least damage the credibility of their of their university to do so. But they care about basketball more than that, which is amazing when you're talking about one of the top. 30, it is one of the top 30 schools in this country cared more about basketball than it does its academic reputation because you had um, people on the academic side willing to take this hit. One thing that was pointed out uh, in, I believe, North Carolina's conference call on Friday, uh, those classes that those players got credit for, they still, they're still on their transcripts. They have never gone back and because they can't do it. If you do that, then you acknowledge that these classes were completely fraudulent. And as long as you're not willing to acknowledge that, then the NCAA can't get you from that perspective. Um, it's wild that the NCAA – I mean, again, I, we both understand why the, this reached the conclusion it reached. We just think – I just think it's crazy. Like, like the system is, is flawed if this is the conclusion you reach based on your own rules. Um, it's wild that the NCAA can decide what happens on, an, on the academic side – for student athletes pre-college, whether it's good enough or not, but once players are on campus, they have no say whatsoever. Like that—that that doesn't make sense. And yet, or and yet that—that's the reality. Which which makes you wonder: Should they just? And this is something I've argued before: Should they just get out of academics completely? Like just just let Stanford enroll whatever type of student athlete Stanford is comfortable enrolling, and let. Uh, Southern Miss enroll whatever type of student athlete Southern Miss is comfortable enrolling and just and just be done with the academic side of it because it's obviously messy. It's obviously a place that they're not comfortable going too far into. So just get out of it completely. Is there a sensible argument for them not to do that? If you really want to let the schools decide, 
um, what is a fraudulent course and what is not a fraudulent course, then why not you just let why not just let the school decide who's a capable student and who's not a capable student? Great point, JP. Um, specifically in the wake of this decision, I think that contention needs serious consideration going forward. I think these discussions need to be had by the NCAA. I don't think it will get to that point because the NCAA, which, again, is just a collective membership of every NCAA-sanctioned member, Division One, Two, II, and Three, and the presidents and chancellors that are deciding and helping shape what this is, they want some sort of uh, balance to the check that is schools enrolling whomever they might want to enroll. Um, but I think there is – I would have – I don't think I'd have much of an issue with that, to be honest with you, if, if any issue whatsoever at all. But again, how long is it going to take for us to get to that point? I don't know. Um, I, real quick, if I could just transition to North Carolina. One more thing on academics, because if you get out of the academic side of things completely, if you're the NCAA, A, it's just easier for you. You, right. don't, you don't ever have to deal with the North Carolina case. Like you don't have to deal with anything like this. Um, and, and, and secondly, you don't get these weird – cases where one school pays a massive penalty for something that seems so minor relative mm -hmm. to to what happened somewhere else specifically this um and i and again i understand why one case went uh, reached a certain conclusion and another case reached another conclusion based on the way the system works that the ncaa has set up but just tell me if this makes any sense on a very common sense level Memphis had one player cheat on, cheat on one test right? before he ever enrolled at the University of Memphis. And there's no evidence whatsoever, though I don't believe this to be true, there's no evidence whatsoever that Memphis had anything to do with it. Now, it defies logic to think somebody at Memphis didn't have something to do with Derrick Rose traveling out of state to take a standardized test. But whatever, the NCAA could not prove that and never even tried to prove that. So you got one player cheating on one test before he's ever even a University of Memphis student. And, and he's ruled eligible initially, and he plays through a season. And then retroactively, the standardized test was invalidated, which allowed the NCAA to retroactively rule him ineligible. And so the greatest basketball season in the history of the University of Memphis had to be vacated. There's no banner inside FedEx Forum. There's no acknowledgement of it at all. One player cheating on one test before he was even a Memphis student with no evidence that Memphis was involved. Still, your entire season, the best season you've ever had, vacated. At North Carolina, more than 1,000 student athletes taking completely fraudulent classes for more than a decade, often when student athletes were guided to these classes by in some cases, someone who was brought to the university by the, the head basketball coach from Kansas to North Carolina. They, the, the, the majority of the players on a national championship team were involved in these classes and nothing, no punishment whatsoever. North Carolina never vacates a single win, never loses a scholarship, never has to take away a banner. Again, I understand why one case went one way and another case went another based on the rules. But that's insanity. That's crazy. If your rules allow for what I just explained to be what it is, then your rules are goofy. It 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 caps GP. It encapsulates the <laughs> the never-ending conundrum that the NCAA is in. No punishment can ever be consistent. 
uh, in the micro level. And even though the issues at the macro level kind of remain the kind of the same themes overall, uh, every case is different. And so it's going to be judged differently, even though they seem like they're at the root of the same kind of issues. If the NCAA can get out of academia altogether and this Carolina thing can be the spark of it, I think that would be terrific. I don't think it has the willingness to do that, at least not in the short term, but it should because it, it just oh, – To be clear, when I throw out these ideas, like when I say what they need to do is get out of the amateurism business as well, go to a Olympic model and let everybody get their fair market market value, whatever that right. might be. And when I say they should get out of academics completely and let Stanford enroll whoever Stanford's comfortable enrolling and let Southern Miss enroll whoever Southern Miss – I understand that they're not going to do these things. I'm yeah, just, I know you are. Yeah, I'm, know. I'm just saying if you really want to – if you want to solve your problems, solve them. Like identify yeah. what the problems are and then go, okay, if we just do this and that, then then we yeah, – yes, you would create other problems. No, I, but it, I, no, but it, I hear yeah. – But it wouldn't be these big problems like this. I know, but they, but if if there are going to be changes, I mean, they have to start with discussions, and and without a doubt, like I, this has to be something the NCAA is thinking about. Uh, let me ask you regards, this. Let me ask, let me ask okay. you this real quick. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, okay, so w this was never though the headlines were always academic scandal because it was from a university perspective an academic scandal. From the M NCAA's perspective, it was not a case of uh, of academic fraud like the word academic fraud or the two words academic fraud they're, they're not right. they're not in the notice of allegations this because they're not it's not a sanctioned term by the NCAA anymore it's always academic misconduct which whatever but that's what they call it right well my, my point being this once the NCAA knew they couldn't make it an academic fraud case because North Carolina would not acknowledge academic fraud to them um, they had to make it an extra benefits case and then, mm -hmm. and, and then North Carolina was going to simply argue all along because it did all along that they're not extra benefits because normal students benefited the same way. Uh, and, and there were smart people predicting this outcome. I wasn't willing to go, say 100% certain North Carolina is going to get off because I, I can't predict what the North Carolina, what the NCAA is ever going to do. They, they punish and, and um, uh, the punishments throughout the years have been wildly inconsistent from one case to the other. Uh, and so I'm like, I don't know what the North, what North Carolina is. I mean, what, what the NCAA is going to do here. But there were smart people, Jay Billis among them, who from the beginning has been say, had said all along, if the NCAA follows its own rule book, they have no case against North Carolina. Given that that clearly is what the NCAA acknowledged um, Friday, why get into this embarrassing yeah. investigation with North Carolina? Why did they ever go down this path if this was the conclusion that that was – that Again, smart people said if the NCAA follows its own rules, the NCAA cannot punish North Carolina. Why put yourself in this position voluntarily if you're North Carolina, if you're the NCAA? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's always if if there are student athletes involved, and let's just call them freaking players. If there are players involved, they're always going to look into it. But yeah, I know, I know. A lot of this just seems like. Like if Mark Emmert would have just held a press conference I know. four years ago and said, you know what, what appears to have happened at North Carolina is, is wrong and shameful and disgusting and runs counter to everything we think college athletics should be. But based on our law, bylaws, this isn't really our territory. This isn't really what, what we get involved in. And so we're going to let the, 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 the entities that do get involved in this type of stuff handle it, but... 
it is not a situation where we don't want to investigate North Carolina and punish North Carolina. It's a, it's a situation where we simply cannot. This is out of our jurisdiction. You save yourself a lot of embarrassment if you just do that up front. And I, and yeah. I know, yeah, but, just, that, yeah. but then you would have had plenty of, I know, you could have done that. Plenty of outcry about not investigating, period. There are uh, <laughs> so many people that are so annoyed with the NCAA right now because the Carolina thing, man, this, it just, people have been waiting, dying for the NCAA to come down on Carolina, and it didn't, and it, by the way, this, call, I guess it's $18 million well spent, but I believe it was Ravel who tweeted that it was $18 million in legal fees for Carolina for this defense, and if it means keeping banners up, not losing victories, and whatever, I guess it's worth it, but I will also say specifically to the Carolina angle, um, you get off here with the NCAA this forever still taints your program. I mean, for anyone that has been following college athletics and will continue and for people that will grow up and, and to learn, this is still going to be there. I mean, you're still going to have that famous case that Carolina wasn't punished for, even though there were thousands of players that benefited from this. Um, so it, that's the only real downside, I guess, if you want to call it for care. Like you're not, you're not wiped. Your hands aren't wiped clean of this as, as a university, as a program, as an athletic department, this will stick to you for decades to come. Um, I still think that even though Roy Williams was not named in notice of allegations or anything like that, and perhaps didn't know anything about this, this will still be a small part of his coaching legacy at the end of the day. Um, Dean Smith has passed, but the fact that we have an independent investigation that uncovers Basketball players and other athletes dating back to the early to mid 90s benefiting from this. This is this is connected to all the coaches that have coached at Carolina since basically 1993 and on. So for UNC fans that might be, you know, a little too proud of themselves in their program at this point in time, just don't don't think that this means you're absolved of anything and everything because it. It absolutely doesn't, and for that arrival eight miles down the road, which uh, loves to go toe-to-toe with you, not just in basketball, but when it comes to academics, this is certainly something that Duke and its fans can hold over your head basically for as long as they live because this is this is a terrible look and will continue to be part of what North Carolina's university and athletic department represents for decades to come. No, it's one of these cases where, and you're exactly right, like I saw some North Carolina fans tweeting about We've been vindicated. No, you haven't. It, you you uh, you had intelligent lawyers who argued um, uh, wisely, and, and 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 threatened from the very beginning, either in vague terms or not so vague terms. Like NCAA, don't don't overstep yourself, or else we'll we'll, we'll have you in federal court. And the NCAA didn't want to get involved in that. And so, um, you yes, you're going to get to keep your banners and celebrate them. Like whatever. Um, but don't act like this is a Friday was a proud moment for North Carolina. Friday didn't prove that everything everybody said went on there again for more than a decade. It didn't prove that it didn't go on there. It just proved that the NCAA um, couldn't do couldn't do anything about it. So yeah, I, it's not a time to be proud if you're a North Carolina um, if you're a North Carolina fan. Um, go ahead. All right. So so from here. Um... I, I, the one thing I wanted to oh, say. Specifically... The one thing I wanted okay. to say. Um, okay. As you, because you mentioned Roy Williams and what he did know and didn't know, I would just say this. I like Roy a lot. I do, and, and, and that, like, if you don't know that something is up, 
And there is some evidence that suggests at some point Roy started saying, hey, let's, let's stay away from this stuff. And so I guess he deserves credit for that. But, like, if you're the head basketball coach and, it, like, if you it, – it's it's plausible deniability. You, you have no interest in knowing. And I, I would just – I would base it on this. Let's say I have I have three I have three sons, only one of whom is in school, and he's smart. He's a he's a straight A student, and so it. But like, let's pretend for a second that he weren't he wasn't a straight A student. Like he just was kind of dumb, and he had gotten you know D's and C's his whole life, and then suddenly he went to a new school, and the new school is supposed to be more challenging, but he's actually getting A's. I would immediately go, okay, what is happening here? Like, what? This doesn't make any sense. My point being this. Uh, North Carolina isn't unlike most basketball programs across this country in the sense that it regularly enrolls basketball players who do not have the academic resumes that would allow them to be just a normal student in that school. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even think that's being rude. I, I just think it's true. I once asked an academic advisor, um, athletic academic advisor at a school. Um, I, I said, how many of your men's basketball players would be enrolled in your school if they weren't men's basketball players? And he says, zero, literally zero, none. Now, maybe that was unique to that particular school, but it, it underlines my point. Um, North Carolina, just like every other pro, there are basketball players at Duke right now who wouldn't be at Duke, wouldn't be accepted into Duke uh, unless they played basketball really well. That's a fact. And so, uh, you know, North Carolina was enrolling players that w should have a challenging time doing the work at a, at a place like North Carolina, the academic work. And yet they're getting A's in classes. Like when you know you've got an at-risk student on campus, on your roster, and suddenly they're getting A's in classes, that suggests that something is up, particularly when the, the majority of your roster is taking these classes and getting A's in these classes. So if you didn't know that something fishy was going on, it's only because you didn't want to know. Is that a fair assessment? I think that is a totally fair assessment. Uh, and it, you know, if you allow me to just kind of take that ball and run with it here, here's the other aspect of this that I wanted to specifically talk about on this podcast before we wrap up here, because I think that we could have stories like what I'm about to mention come up in the future. And I want to acknowledge the fact that we're aware that they're out there, but they're also very hard to prove. I think that there are basketball players, be ones that declare early for the NBA draft or ones that are taking summer courses, something could be online. Amongst the media, there is a heavy dose of cynicism as to how legitimate the online course aspect of college is when it comes to basketball or athletes in general because it is easier to fake it. Um, now, what from what I gather, taking an online course now versus taking an online course in 2007, um, it's become perhaps a little bit tougher if you were to try to get a good grade, write a paper, to take a test, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think this issue will not go away for the NCAA GP. I think that if, if, it can, if academic misconduct or straight-up fraud when it comes to these kind of courses can be proven, and if there's someone that uh, is seeking to do it, I think that is something the NCAA needs to be more diligent with because if you're going to stay on the course with this and, and be 
judge and jury when it comes to players and being academically eligible. Because the other aspect is the uh, the APR, which in itself is certainly a flawed system. Schools are helped. If you have a player leave early for the draft, you don't get penalized so long as the player leaves the school in good academic standing. And Kentucky specifically, I'm only going to bring Kentucky up because one, they have more one and dones than anyone else, uh, touts their GPA. They, all the students could be, all those players could be doing it totally on the up and up. I'm not going to say they're not because I don't know that to be the case whatsoever. But if they, if they simply opted to leave school March 27th or April 5th, whenever it was, and didn't finish out their semesters uh, and didn't leave in, in decent academic standing, it would torpedo Kentucky's APR and in turn that domino effect can lead them to be ineligible for the postseason. So as we wrap up what's happened with North Carolina and decades-long issues with players benefiting from classes, I want our listeners to be aware of the fact that there are there are there's definite unknowns out there with individual cases of players taking courses. I'm not saying it's a widespread problem. I'm saying I believe right now and in the recent past and recent years, there have been plenty of players that maybe have done some of the work but probably not all of the work, and with that have been given passing grades, good grades when it comes specifically to online courses. And I think that's there's a sham aspect out there when it comes to college players and academics that still is that's, that egg is waiting to be cracked. Would you agree? Of course. I had a coach I was talking to at some point over the past year, and they had accepted a transfer from an ACC school. We'll just keep it vague. And they got this player on their campus – and they were setting up his schedule, class schedule, and all this stuff. And they were like, okay, so here's this is where you got to be on Mondays and Wednesdays. This is where you got to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the player, this coach said this. The player looked at him and said, what do you mean got to be? It's like, well, yeah, this, is, like, this is where you have to be at this time in this building. He's like, what? He's like, we have to actually like go to a class? They were like, yes, you have to actually go to a class. He's like, no, we do all of our stuff online. Like, he's like, the player was blown away that we were actually requiring them to go into a building. And to your point about Kentucky and one and dones, and they have to, you know, they, because these guys, the NCAA tournament's over, they immediately sign with an agent, and then they go somewhere to train, L.A., Chicago, Dallas, wherever. And yet, you're exactly right, Kentucky needs those players to continue to do whatever kind of coursework they need them to do. Um, to not torpedo the APR so that they couldn't theoretically end up banned from the NCAA tournament, which just underlines my initial point. Get out of academic because that's stupid. Why should John Wall, in preparation for the NBA draft, where he's about to be the number one pick and someday worth $150 million, why should John Wall be turning in a paper for a college course that he'll never use, never need? Like The idea that the NCAA rules require players to do that after they're already off into a professional career where they're going to make millions and millions of dollars it's nonsensical and so it it begs to be fraudulent because like you can't i don't want to say you can't possibly i'm just saying it flies in the face of a lot of stuff that college freshmen who know that they're never going to be college sophomores and who are also about to be lottery picks, which means they're going to be millionaires, are actually doing quality work when they're not even on campus anymore because they shouldn't have any passion for it. 
and really they don't have any need for it. They're just doing it because a nonsensical NCAA rule says that their program needs them to do it. I mean, it's all crazy. So, yeah, I, I just mm-hmm. cir- I'll just circle back to my initial thought. Um, get out of academics completely. Uh, let the schools handle academics completely. And uh, the NCAA will have fewer problems, fewer big headlines that make it look, um, as our friend Dan Walken said, impotent. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, yes. South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over to iTunes. So please do that. Thank you all for listening. And um, we will be back later on this week. Till then, take care.